Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 305 through 307, which will cover manga chapters 422 through 424. And yes, Gear Third ended the last set of episodes with a literal bang, but let's see if it will be enough to take down Luchi for good. So, yeah, synopsis. After unleashing Gear Third upon Luchi, Luffy continues his attack upon him. And not let up while the other Straw Hats are currently in a predicament that they need to figure out somehow to get out of the danger of drowning in the flooded tunnels. Then, lastly, Frankie and Robin are working to take down Spandem and the remaining Marine soldiers on the Bridge of Hesitation. Okay, so let's move on to the differences. And unlike the last set of episodes, there are, I guess, fewer instances of differences. However, There is one big added difference, and that would be Luchi's backstory, which is told by Vice Admiral Onigumo. So, in the manga, this does happen, and he explains pretty much the exact same thing right after the giant pistol that Luffy unleashes. But instead, in the anime, the timing not only is different, as it is given just after the Straw Hats all get washed away in the tunnel and not after the punch. But also in the manga, this flashback is told to us with just a few panels of just a couple images from the backstory or flashback, I should say. And it, yeah, it's about a page and a half in total. But in the anime, we get an almost an entire episode dedicated to fleshing out this entire story. And we actually get to see the whole thing with just the, you know, everything in between filled in. And it's not like it necessarily adds anything to Luchi's story, but it just kind of helps to, I guess, flesh it out a little bit more. I'm pretty ambivalent as to which one I prefer. I mean, I think I like the brevity of the manga, but also it's kind of nice to see Luchi kind of act- in action as he's a teenager. The other two minor changes is when they're drowning, Usopp gets sort of this callback to seeing the,、um, the Heavenly Flower Garden. As he's, about to, as he's about to die again, which is a callback、um, to Drum Island, which we'll talk about in the main episode. And then there's also a couple more added scenes for Sanji's sort of imagination of what a mermaid is supposed to look like after they're all saved. But yeah, beyond that, there's really not too much. Now, with that, let's get into my thoughts on this episode. So, picking up right where we left off last episode, we just we see how beastly of a punch the Gear Third. Gomu Gomu no giant pistol is as Luchi has taken some serious damage and is on the verge of losing consciousness while in the midair and in danger of falling into the water, which can be very devastating for a Devil Fruit user like himself. Which just shows you how much power Gear Third really has. And it's quite remarkable, but at the same time, we see later that Luchi is, for the most part, fine, I guess, which will come back to haunt him a little bit because. Yeah, it does have a delayed reaction for some reason. I do find it a nice detail, though, that most of the Marine soldiers don't actually recognize Luchi, as that makes perfect sense since he's essentially their Black Ops secret agent and is supposed to be working undercover mostly, so he would have kept most of his identity in check. Now, moving back to the Straw Hat side of things, one thing I want to note about the following tunnel scene. Where everyone finally reunites under the worst of circumstances as the water basically rushes towards them. But one interesting thing of note that I always found a little strange is that Usopp, for some reason, 
makes a big deal about being able to hear and sense the rushing water, yet Zoro and Sanji can't. This always stood out as weird to me. Now, I won't get too much into this, as it is kind of spoilery, depending on how you look at it. So I'll discuss more a little bit in the spoiler section. But we're then treated to a little backstory for Luchi from Vice Admiral Onigumo about a mission that Luchi was sent on 15 years ago when he was just 13 years old. And in order to take care of some pirates who have taken hostages from a king to try and steal the throne away from some unnamed kingdom, it's said that in order to maintain order, Luchi not only killed the pirates who took the hostages, but he also massacred the hostages as well, reasoning that by being weak and getting caught, they also contributed to causing this threat in the first place. Which obviously just, this story is meant to show just how powerful and ruthless Luchi is, especially as he is pretty much the subscriber of Absolute Justice. And how even the pirates themselves were a little shocked and disgusted at the measures the world government took by killing all the hostages. And that's saying something when the horrible criminals you're tasked to keep the peace from think you're messed up. Like we've seen throughout the series so far, it just shows us that it doesn't really matter. The world government or the pirates, both can be bad, but ultimately the world government is worse when it comes to what they're willing to do to maintain power and control And I think this story not only goes to show that, but also just how much of a threat Luchi really is as they get into the final act of the Luchi versus Luffy battle. Just to kind of like up the stakes a little more. When we get back from the flashback, Luffy is on the hunt for Luchi and still in his gear third form. And one thing you'll notice is when the Marines start firing upon Luffy, the bullets still bounce off Luffy like always. But because he's reinforced by the bone balloon... The bullets literally just ricochet off of him instead of in the normal way where they kind of squish into him and then repel out, visually showing us the difference that we mentioned in the podcast before between the bone balloon and the gomu gomu no balloon. And yeah, I thought that was a cool detail. Luffy then redirects the air down to his foot and showcases his devastating gomu gomu no giant axe, crushing a huge section of the hull on the marine galleon ship. Luchi... To get up to Luffy, opts to change into his full leopard form for the first time and bites down on Luffy's shoulder. But Luffy's able to repel him away by again redirecting the bone balloon air back to his torso and then back down to his foot to swipe a massive Gomu giant whip. And this takes out the mast of the ship. However, it's still not enough as he reaches his limit on gear third and shrinks back down to his chibi form. And it's super hilarious and cute as you see him just kind of scurry away to, <laughs> to get to hide away from Luchi as he needs some time before he can get back to normal. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see that this, I think this is really the only time we actually do see Luchi in his full leopard form. Because from here on out, if I recall, we don't actually get to see that again. And I apologize if that is a spoiler, but it is it is true. Um, but yeah, it's weird that Oda never decided to make use of Luchi's leopard form, but I guess he can't really use, you know, Rokushiki with that form, or maybe he can, I don't know. So yeah, this kind of confirms what we all thought from the last podcast, that, you know, it really is sort of a, a rebound reaction, as he's in his chibi form for roughly the same amount of time he spends in Gear 3rd, but luckily he only will be shrunk down for about a minute. But against someone that can move at the speed Luchi does, that could still be very pragmatic as we see later. 
Before continuing on, I gotta say, the drawings and animation quality in 306 is particularly comically bad to the point where it bleeds into the so bad it's funny territory. Like the shot of Luchi hovering while Chibi Luffy runs away is so choppy and undetailed, it made me kind of chuckle. But the worst one is easily when uh, Yokozuna is worried about Frankie and he pictures the entire Frankie family and it looks like a 10-year-old sketched it. Particularly Frankie, who has no pupils in his eyes, and so he looks really freaky. And it's so hilariously bad that I, I remember the first time I watched it, it made me laugh. <laughs> but upon rewatching it, it still made me burst out laughing. Speaking of Frankie, he does get a really badass moment to himself as he just straight up sucker punches Spandam while he's threatening him and Robin. Fed up with being a punching bag to the two though, Spandam decides to get in a cheap shot of his own by sending Funkfried after Robin. Well, she's kind of incapacitated right now by her PTSD. But Frankie then steps in and defends Robin with his own body to the point where he exposes some of his organic body parts to Funkfried's blade and he's cut on the thigh. And it's here where this moment goes from cool to freaking badassery. As he just straight up intimidates Funkfried into backing down and orders it to change back into an elephant trunk, which it immediately complies when Frankie aims a weapon's left at his face. <laughs> the next part is something I always really liked about Frankie and really informs you why he's put all his faith in the Straw Hats. He recalls just how badly he wanted to get Tom and save him when he was first sent away to the NES lobby. But back then, he didn't have the strength to do that. But now, seeing the Straw Hats in the same exact position of losing their precious loved one in almost the exact same way, but them having the strength and the craziness and insanity to actually follow through with it, not only serves as a way for Frankie to kind of live out a wish that he never got to achieve back then with Tom, but also as a way to sort of atone for him not being able to save Tom, by this time being able to save Robin. It's an amazing full circle moment for his character, as I'm sure all these years, he out of everyone has beat himself up more and blames himself the most for Tom's death. Not only that, but he's wished for nothing more than to get revenge on the man who was responsible for taking away his teacher, mentor, and surrogate father, and is grateful to the Straw Hats who gave him that chance to finally get some revenge and smash in Spandam's face and he just straight up body slams Funkfried on top of Spandam knocking him out cold I mean this moment is so damn satisfying to see it's a wonder Spandam is still alive after having a several ton elephant smashed on top of him like that but it is pretty funny although I think because of the fact that he's owns Funkfried maybe it doesn't affect him as much because he's able to wield the sword without having to hold up a several ton elephant and I can't imagine Spandam is strong and physically strong enough to be able to lift up an actual elephant so I think that's maybe one of the reasons why he's technically alive also Oda doesn't kill people and yeah with this moment Frankie decides he's ready to lay down his life if it means the Straw Hats including Robin gets off NES lobby safely and this is basically Frankie solidifying himself as the next strong hat. As Robin herself sees that Frankie as yet another person she can depend on to protect her. So in her mind, he is basically someone she can depend on as much as the others. Which is a really cool moment to see 
you know? And I like that this sort of experience or this story arc kind of binds Frankie and Robin together in a, in a weird pairing. In the next scene, in a cutaway, we see that the Giants, the Frankie family, and the Galila company guys make it to the main gate, but waiting for them is an ambush by three gunships led by Vice Admiral Strawberry. And it looks like the end for them as they get ready to be fired upon with nowhere to run. But we know it's not yet over for them, but we'll circle back to them later as we need to get back to the main event. So we find Chibi Luffy getting his ass beat down by Luchi. And something interesting here is that Luchi decides to slim down to a more agile and speedy form using the uh, Seimei Kikan Kamiye Bunshin or Life Return Kamiye form. Which, if that sounds familiar, it's the same technique Kumadori used to control his hair, but it's also what Kumadori used to slim down after having to eat all that food to escape the fridge. And yeah, Luchi uses the same thing to shrink down his body, but this is a little different from his zone double fruit transformation powers, and it's actually due to the use of um, the Rokushiki and the Seimeikikan techniques in combination with each other. But yeah, I always found this a little weird. It's like, why would he need to do that? Is he getting tired? Or does he need more speed? Like, he does mention the fact that Gear 3rd is very powerful, but because it lacks any speed at all, if he can't hit anything, then maybe he figures that that'll be a good counter for Gear 3rd, but he's no longer using Gear 3rd, so I don't know why he he feels the need to do that. But then one of the funniest things happens as Luffy finds himself in actual danger... Luchi quickly closes in on Luffy, grabs him by the neck like a little child, and pins him against the wall, and begins to intimidate Luffy by saying for all the ridiculous attacks he's thrown at him, they've pretty much been useless and ineffective. But before he can finish his sentence, Luffy just pathetically smacks his tiny fist, doing no damage on Luchi's nose, pissing him off to no end. And this is just this is just so freaking hilarious and recalls the exact same thing he did to Crocodile during their first encounter outside of Rain Base. Like, I don't know that this quite compares to the fact that Luffy repeatedly re- interrupts Crocodile because Luffy repeatedly trying to cut off Crocodile's speech is funny. But the image of Tiny Luffy essentially what amounts to like a light slap and even the fist just sort of rebounding off of Luchi, like, and Luchi's, you know, off of Luchi's nose makes this moment pretty damn hilarious as well as he just cuts him off before he can finish the sentence. And Luchi's about had enough of Luffy's BS and slams him into the wall and gets ready to finish him off. And it looks bad, but just then Luchi suddenly recoils from the effects of the damage received from the Gomu Gomu no Giant Pistol as it finally starts to affect him which luckily is enough time for Luffy to return to normal and then lay a comeback on Luchi by slyly saying, look, it did affect you after all. And to round out this middle episode, we finish off with the remaining Straw Hats all being washed away by the flood in the tunnel. The shot of Chopper is really cute as he's just peacefully passed out, unaware that they're all about to die. And I also love the nice bit of continuity as Sanji's drowning slash breath-holding face is almost exactly the same as what it looked like when he was fighting Kurobi back in Arlong Park. And for the anime-only part, they make a reference for Usopp as well. When he's about to drown, he starts to see the heavenly flower garden uh, that he mentions seeing in Drum Island when he almost died in the avalanche. 
until VV comically slaps him out of it. Uh, but yeah, in a bit of growth though, as as funny as this joke is, this time Usopp doesn't actually succumb to it, and he actually tries to live on and tries to fight back and 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 try and you know somehow stay alive. Which I love that even in comedy, Oda seems to manage to to inject some character growth. However, just as things are about to go dark, they're all wrapped up and pulled by what appears to be a beautiful mermaid-like figure that Sanji starts to picture as he thinks to himself he's seeing some sort of a mirage or guiding spirit as they all begin to drown. Then it freaking smash cuts to what's actually happening in reality, and it turns out to be Kokoro, who is a mermaid, and she's dragging them all along while everyone holds their breath for dear life with their eyes all whited out to the point where even the unconscious chopper looks like he's distressed by the reveal that Kokoro is this sort of older, fatter mermaid. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I freaking called this. As I mentioned in the past podcast, that Kokoro most likely was a person, like Tom was, just due to the sheer fact that she didn't quite look like a normal human, first off, and also that she was heavily implied to be in a relationship with Tom, who was also a merman. So yeah, that's, I mean, it, it's not exactly like a, it wasn't like a crazy prediction or anything like that, but I always just enjoyed it. Back above water, though, we already see that Robin and Frankie have successfully secured their escape ship, and just then we see Kokoro leap out of the water onto the ship, and they're all knocked out due to the immense shock, apparently. But as a result, didn't inhale too much water, and it's comically revealed that the revelation that Kokoro was a mermaid, and more so her appearance as a mermaid, is what sent them all into this state of shock. And while it's pretty funny, but it's also kind of rude and ironic that while Kokoro is sort of talking to Robin, and she's just kind of like standing there, it's Frankie of all people telling her to put some clothes on. (laughs) But seriously, like, is she always wearing those clam bras? Like, that's got to be really uncomfortable. Or or is that, like, attached to her body? Like, is that part of her anatomy? Like, I don't think it is, but it's never really resolved. When they all regain consciousness, she does go on to confirm that she is, in fact, an ice fish mermaid, confirming the existence of mermaids in addition to mermen in One Piece. But what's cool is Oda adds a little bit more world building on top of that by explaining that the reason she has legs instead of the traditional fishtail is that around the age of 30, mermaids develop legs and can walk on land, which is very similar to how evolution of the first land-based creatures were fish that basically developed legs. And it's here that we get our second mention of Fishman Island since the Arlong Park arc, which we hope we will visit sometime in the future. Fishman Island is just another one of those sort of often mentioned islands that you hope the Straw Hats will eventually visit, like Elbaf and obviously Laftail. I think the funniest joke about this whole thing is the fact that Chimney and Gombe never put it together that their own grandma was a mermaid even after seeing the scales and fins with Frankie doing a classic Tsukomi joke yelling, you should have realized, grandkid. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been a while since we've had one of those. But yeah, with that out of the way, they all realize that they are finally reunited with Robin, with Sanji being the first to lunge at her with his sort of love cook mode, but Nami and Chopper beat him to it, and he slams his face into the mast, which is pretty sweet and funny at the same time. But back to more serious stuff, Zoro and Usopp witness the aftermath of the ensuing buster call as the entire island is engulfed in a sea of flames, poetically put by Usopp, 
They realize that they are not out of danger yet as they will stop at nothing to capture and kill Robin. Their mission now is to hold the fort down and await Luffy's return. And here we get another cool Zoro moment flexing his first mate status as he makes the executive decision that's not their place to go help Luffy but they instead need to stay their ground and protect their escape vessel. However, this is no small task when you think about it. And it creates for another tense set of circumstances as they're essentially sitting ducks on that bridge. And the buster call, when it finishes with the island, they're all going to redirect and come after the Straw Hats and Frankie, as well as the ship that they need to escape. And they'll need to fend off several thousands of Marine soldiers, artillery fire from the gunships, as well as the five vice admirals. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it, what they really need to do. It seems impossible. It's essentially six versus a couple thousand Marines as well as vice admirals. And keep in mind, they're already fairly exhausted or injured from their various battles as well as just having nearly drowned to the point where Chopper at the moment is completely incapacitated and useless. Also, just to remind you, like vice admirals have to be pretty crazy strong while we have yet to see one in actual combat these are the officers that are just one rank below someone like Aokiji and a couple ranks above someone like Smoker so they're definitely not pushovers not to mention as they reference even if they were able to set sail how would they even get past the fleet of ships like I honestly when I first read this had no idea how they were going to accomplish this given that Luffy is still kind of on the defensive versus Luchi. Like, he's holding his own, but he's definitely not winning yet. There is a small moment that I really like, though. I love that, again, the straw hat with the most amount of compassion and empathy, some being Sanji, is the one that tries to reach out to Frankie about his family and their safety. And I love these little character moments, as always. We do see Frankie putting on a brave front, saying that they're, they're going to be all right, but you know that he's worried, especially given the state they were left in when we saw them last. As we catch back up with them, Polly notices a Dendemushi on the ground that is connected to the Straw Hats. But in that moment when he goes to pick it up, they all get fired upon and blasted down the pit. And it's then it broadcasted out to everyone on the island, including the Straw Hats, that they, along with the rest of the NES lobby, have been wiped out. And it's a pretty emotional moment as they all had individual connections with them, whether it be Yokozuna, the Galila company, the Frankie family, the Giants. They all recall everything each one of them sacrificed to get them where they are now. And it's a pretty intense scene. And I will say it would be even more intense and impactful if there were some any actual stakes with this, as we all know Oda's resistance to killing his characters and... We all have no doubt in our minds that he would kill off this many characters at once. So, I mean, it was safe to assume that they're all going to be fine and somehow alive. However, this does affect them all, and especially Frankie, who calls out to Luffy to make sure he wins the fight and gets back there so that their sacrifice won't be in vain. And as we get close to the end of the episode, it cuts back to Luffy, who's ready to give it everything he's got with one last go by gearing up for gear second once again even at the cost of his own health and life but that doesn't matter to luffy because he's all about the here and now and what he can do right now to help out everyone 
Which I got to say, that last sort of mentality, obviously, you don't necessarily want to do something that would basically cost your life. But I do find myself thinking, you know, I probably should live in the now moment and just stop worrying so much about the future or what's ahead of me or what I'm not going to do or the opportunity costs of this or that. I, you know, I feel like, yeah, sometimes you just got to look at where you're at and what the situation is around you and really focus on that and appreciate it or focus on what you have to do. And I, and I pretty, when I saw this scene again, it reminded me of that sort of mentality. And I really like that sort of how Luffy approaches everything. Like he's got a goal in front of him. Like obviously he has long-term goals, you know, whether it be the Pirate King, Escape from Anisabi, Save Robin, whatever. But when it comes to certain tasks, he stops thinking about the future and he just focuses and gets down to business as to what he wants to accomplish right now, right at this moment, and doesn't let anything take away focus from that. And that's something that, yeah, I often forget to do. And I really like seeing that. And, and I'm really glad that this reminded me, especially at this current moment in my life. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. But anyways, yeah, just to bring this to a close. And sorry about the little rambling. And yeah, this is the final stretch as the Straw Hats have to basically fight for their life to stay alive while Luffy reaches deep down and to kick it into another gear. A second gear, you might say, <laughs> with gear second to try and beat out Luchi and escape. But we'll talk more about that in the coming podcasts. For now, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Sending Podcast for updates of when you or when I post new episodes or see some pictures on my manga collection. So check those out. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast. And just a mini spoiler section, not too big one, or not too big of one. And But if you're not interested for that, stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, spoiler section. This is going to be really short, but there's just like two little things that I wanted to kind of point out. First off, this arc seems to heavily... I don't know if it was intentional or not, but this arc definitely kind of showcases the foreshadowing for Usopp's massive observation hockey that he eventually gets in Dressrosa with that epic moment where he shoots down... Um, what's her face? Oh my god, how am I blanking on this? Um, Sugar, that's her name, Sugar. <laughs> um, yeah, with when he shot her down, and yeah, between him sort of realizing that that there's the water is rushing, while neither Sanji or Zoro could notice it. I mean, there it's not like they're imperceptive either, because they're definitely very sensitive to potential threats and so it seems weird here that Usopp was the only one that actually noticed that and I think it's just sort of right now it's just kind of taken as Usopp's sort of heightened sense for danger but I think overall Usopp just has a heightened sense in general which allows him to eventually unlock observation hockey
which is pretty cool. You know, and if if it, whether it was intentional or not, I like that there's sort of this continuity between that moment uh, here and then also the moment in Dress Rosa when he finally utilizes that for real. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to mention, and this is really tiny, but the the gag with the mermaid and Kokoro sort of being the first mermaid that the crew in, in, um, encounters, I love how this moment is made fun of later on by the rest of the crew when they finally meet Kami and they sort of consider her the first mermaid that they ever met and they just wipe out the memory of Kokoro. <laughs> that scene always kills me. Um, but yeah, I, this this moment just kind of reminded me of that. But anyways, those are the only two things I really wanted to talk about in the spoiler section. And so yeah, thanks for listening and I'll see you later. <laughs>